You're listening to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Little by little, I was getting the sense of my time isn't my time. Just kept feeling this pull to the outdoors and wanting to do something in the outdoor space. Welcome to another episode of the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Brian Krebs. Today, I have Brad Leitner, and I had to ask him how he says his name, because this would have been the one that stumped me. 55 episodes (laughs) in, I would have got it wrong, Um, but Brad, how are you doing today? I'm awesome, buddy. Happy to be here. Uh, Just uh, getting stuff packed up for the we have three more tournaments left starting in two weeks, so just getting packed up and ready to hit the road for another month and a half and then get home and do some hunting. There you go. So usually I give a little snippet of what the guest does or where they're from. Today I didn't do that, but for everyone's right off the bat, you're a professional fisherman, right? Yeah, yeah. I fish the Bassmaster EQs, which there's nine tournaments, and we fish from Louisiana to Texas to New York. So nothing. My home base is Minnesota. I grew up fishing Lake Minnetonka. Uh, back in the day, I haven't fished out there in a couple of years, but uh, just travel a lot, fish a lot, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of my story, I guess. <laughs> Well, when we were talking in the green screen, you mentioned that you wanted to move south to Iowa. And I'm like, man, if you're in the Bassmaster, I don't like there's bass in Minnesota, but it's probably not a bass fishing destination. Like maybe you get a couple tournaments or some local stuff, but it seems like you would be driving for a majority of your work. Ah, uh, yeah, I put on about 50,000 miles a year, so a lot of, lot of road time, but actually, actually, Minnesota is a hub for bass fishing. We don't have many major tournaments up here, but a lot of the, a lot of the top anglers in the country right now are from Minnesota because we have such great bass fishing up here. Obviously, our season's, you know, super short compared to down south, but our fishing we have a lot more fish up here, a lot more, you know, there's 10,000 lakes in Minnesota plus, and they all have bass in them where down South, you may, you may only have two or three or five reservoirs in a state. So there's not as much opportunity as we have up here. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of that. Cause I always f- thought of bass fishing is, yeah, you can catch, you know, I think my biggest is a five pound and I've never really targeted them. I've caught some really nice smallmouth. I just caught a 20 inch smallmouth this spring in Minnesota, but I've always thought of like Louisiana, Florida, um, deep South as like where you're going to get the night, like, like a 10 pound fish, for example, in Minnesota would be relatively unheard of. I think it would break our record by about two pounds. So to put it in perspective, you could probably do that in the South in a season if you dedicated, right? Ah, yeah. I mean, there's bigger fish down south, but there's not the numbers of quality fish. So I think I've caught in two over seven pounds this year during tournaments down there where I I don't know if I've ever caught a seven pounder in Minnesota my whole life. So obviously bigger fish down there, but they do, 
they get fish 365 days a year so they're 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 pretty educated down there yeah and they're i mean we're we're used to fishing you know 10,000 three to 10,000 acre lakes and I haven't fished a lake on the opens this year smaller than 100,000 acres. So we get to some big bodies of water that don't have a lot of fish in them usually. Oh, wow. That makes it a challenge. And that, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm putting the cart before the horse here, but that sounds like to me what being a professional fisherman is in just one sentence is it's a challenge. <laughs> every day is a challenge yeah you i mean and nowadays what people don't realize i don't know how how big you are into hunting and stuff but the fishing side of it has you know the the pros before us the denny browers the guido hiddens you know they had to focus on fishing that was their only task now we not only have to be the best at fishing, we have to be the best at social media. We have to be the best at talking to people. I mean, it. we have a lot more irons in the fire now than they used to. So it's, it, you know, it, it's distracting. Even like today, I didn't have much going on. I spent most of the day talking to sponsors, trying to get new sponsors and just trying to get stuff ready to go. So it, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's very challenging. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. And we were talking in the green screen. It sounds like you host your own podcast and you, you're definitely into the podcast game, which kind of rounds out maybe the the press or the visibility, right? You mentioned social media, talking to people, probably yeah. a part of that is in person at different shows in the off season and then the podcasting to really get your name out there. And I'm just that leads me to wonder, so how much of being a professional fisherman to you is is ending up on the podium for a for a, a tournament compared to like the daily business, um, sponsors, any content revenue if you have that going on channels? Like is it is it a healthy mix? Because I do like what you said makes resonates with me. Like Bill Dance, he just pretty much was on TV and no. fished. And then no. like all these other pros, they just fished and they won. And no one really knew what happened all day long until they get to the podium and they bring their bag of fish in. I, I think for me, I mean, it's, it's probably half and half. I think you have to set yourself up to succeed with these sponsors, social media, and then you have to go and succeed too. You have to go and catch them. You have to, you build your name by catching them, but you stay in the business by sponsors and social media. I mean it, and it it's it's a trying time right now. A lot of a lot of fishing companies are struggling. I mean, after COVID, it was some of the biggest boom years ever, mm. and now it's kind of it's really peeling back. But I'm I'm pretty fortunate. I also. I developed a, I wish I brought one with, but I developed a hair jig. It's called the chicken jig. You can buy them at pretty much any place you buy fishing stuff, tackle warehouse, Omnia is a good place to find them, but it's a big preacher jig. And I designed it, won a lot of tournaments in Minnesota on it. Uh, it's a killer down South too. So I'm kind of, I'm working on designing a bunch more with them. And that's kind of, the fishermen nowadays, you kind of got to, 
you got to play that angle too. You mm. know, you, you, you got to have, you know, I suppose in hunting, you'd have your arrow or your bow, you know, something while well, in fishing, you, you build lures, you put your names on it and you get, you know, subsidized for that, you know? So uh, that, that's a bigger part of the game now than anyone would realize like that, you know, that that's how a lot of these guys are getting paid you know, a lot of their income right now. Yeah, that's an interesting take on it. And we, I, the last podcast we did with Trent from uh, Chest Thumper Outdoors, definitely a hunting podcast, but we talked about oh. that specifically where like pretty much all of your big names in hunting content, whether it's television or digital, have some sort of a product associated with them or another gig, whether like some people are farming 6,000 acres and you just don't see that yeah. part of it, but that's what pays for their home and their family as well as all of the other stuff. And then the hunting probably pays for itself, maybe puts a little bit of cash in the bank or fuels their next investment. But, you know, a lot yeah. of them do have a product and it's funny you say it's kind of the same in fishing and I'm, I'm wondering now if like the next generation, it seems like we might be a transitional generation and the next generation views like tournaments and getting on the podium as maybe just a press tour of this is how I get my name out. But what I really make money at is all the products I'm showing when I'm on the, when I'm on the podium or when I'm on the tour. And yeah, if I win, I get a big piece, a big, you know, a big printout check and that's great. But where I really no. budget off of is I'm going to sell 50,000 jigs this year and I'm going to sell 20,000 hats and I'm going to sell, you know, this many of my new players, which, by the way, I can't figure out why no one has designed a good players that floats. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Like bring a, that up. <laughs> like a big fat grip players with like a really hard like you don't. Unless you're like in the musky game and you're sinking some huge oh. treble hooks deep in some bone. Like, if you got your average bass or panfish players, like, you really don't need much weight there in metal. And you could put a nice floaty hand grip on that sucker. I talked to someone that was in a kayak fisherman, like, pure YouTube fisherman from a kayak. He's like, everything in my kayak ends up in the lake at some point. Everything goes in the lake. So I just need everything to float. <laughs> well, I think it might be an issue with us. We, we go fast. Like, our boats go 70-plus, so they probably blow out or get stuck in our forehead. So Yeah, you, maybe would, it won't. you would definitely have to f- make sure that's not a problem. I tether mine. Yeah. I tether mine to something, so they're all on cables. Everything in my tackle box, jaw spreaders, tweezers, scissors, they're all tethered. But um, it is a little interesting, and, that's, and it's just interesting the way you kind of framed the – what pro fisherman means to you in a way, it sounds like there's three healthy categories of tournaments and being successful, um, people, right. Followers, content, engagement, and then product, whether it's, um, some sort of affiliate deal where I help co-design this and put my name on it or just my own product. Yeah. And I feel like you have to, you have to build a name first and foremost. I mean, I do a lot with the, so my sons are on the high school fishing league in the state of Minnesota. So I'm on the board and I do a lot with them and every young 
boy or girl that gets into fishing comes up and talks to me and they're all about how how do i get sponsors and (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's a it's a thousand paragraph deal right like it's not it's not easy it it boils down into our field the more your name gets known the more you're around you know the right people and they have to know you and have to trust you and you know being a good person really helps out a lot in that category and you know it's it's not a, a lot of these kids think you know I'm going to go win a high school tournament and tomorrow Rappel is going to call me and give me $100,000 but it, it doesn't work like that I used to work like that kind of back in the day but that ship is so far gone that it's never coming back and one thing hurting us in the fishing side is there's a lot of there's a lot of people that will work for very very little pay if nothing and you know these companies are like why would we pay this guy $20,000 a year when we can have 500 guys we give 10% off to you know doing the same thing so it's kind of a it's a weird deal we got going on right now and hopefully it gets straightened out pretty soon but yeah that is kind of weird and i don't know everyone's probably got a different philosophy of what they do with how they spend money or earn money but my mentality would be i would i would budget my life based on some of the things i control like i control yeah. how many views on tiktok i get and what revenue i get from there i i have the majority control of any you know how much product I sell of my own. And that's, that's where I would probably be like, this is what my budget is. Now, if I win a tournament, great. I'm a, but I'm going to find that's extra money. I'm not going to count on that money. And I'm on, if I get that, I'm going to think about what's the best value for this. Is it, do I really need to upgrade a boat? Am I running on my last legs on my pickup? Am I ready to do the next investment? Whether that's maybe bringing my fishing gear production, you know, uh, local, like I'm going to build a shop and we're going to start making yeah. the stuff ourselves and hire up some people, whatever that is. I mean, I feel like it would be a pretty stressful life if you were like, I have to win to f- eat next month. And it, it, uh, it's, there's, I would say 80% of the people chasing their dreams. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're chasing dreams are in that same predicament. I mean, and the hard thing with fishing you know, it's kind of like a drug in a way. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like getting up in the morning and watching that first flock of mallards come in or that whitetail rubbing a tree, you know, it's kind of addictive deal. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have gone broke and, and there'll be a lot of people that go broke in the future, but it's, you know, it's like, you need that little break and you keep, you keep working hard at it and you keep, improving a lot of people get to a certain level and they think they know it all or they quit you know improving where our game there's something new every week to learn you know or every day like if you're not learning every day you're doing something wrong and i see a lot of that like people get stuck in their ways you know and there's there's so many different ways of doing it and that's the biggest thing with us. We got to keep, you could be the best fisherman in the world. If you don't keep learning, everyone's going to pass you up in a couple months. You know, it's just, it's a constant learning game for us. That was, it's interesting you brought that up because I was going to ask you specifically about that. 
on on like do you, how much of what you do when you're not in a tournament is you know they say pre-fishing a lake or scouting a lake oh. but is it just like yeah the fish are here and they're biting or how much of what you do outside of an active tournament is you know i've been thinking there's a better way to you know present this bait or you know, no. different structure I want to take a look at and like trying new things and, and exactly what you said, learning, like how much of your time on the water is, is that versus just, I know this works. I've done it before. Sometimes the weather and the pressure and the fish just no. need to cooperate. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a healthy dose of both, honestly. I mean, you got to stick to your guns, what you're good at for sure. Mm-hmm. But you, you also, I mean, I lay awake most nights before I fall asleep and think of different lures or different ways of catching them. And I feel like my job's a 24 hour a day job, like seven days a week, 365 days a year. I mean, if I'm not, if I'm not, you know, typically for the Bassmaster stuff, we get four days of practice. So we only get four days on a, a given lake. And this year, out of nine lakes, I've only been to one of the lakes previously. So we're, we're seeing a lot of new water all the time. And, you know, so when you're seeing new water, it's hard to, it's hard to pick up new techniques because it's, mm. it's hard enough to get a bite. So you kind of go with what has gotten you there in the past. I seem to work on a lot of things when I'm on a lake and the bite's really good fun fishing, which I don't get out a ton to do, but you know, work on things when I know the fish are biting and at least get confidence in it because in our line of work, confidence in what you're doing is the whole game. I mean, it you can't be out there trying something that someone else told you about. You're never going to do good. So you got to be confident. And the thing is, nowadays, we have so much variety. I mean, there's there's a thousand ways to catch a bass. So you got to pick what what you think is going to work best and go out and but generally if i if i i do some homework on lakes i go to you know you look on google earth or your gps and i'll have an idea of what i'm going to do but it never pans out and i'm more of the fisherman there's some fishermen that are you know they're all about structure planning out everything i'm more the guy that I show up to the lake, I look at it and whatever feels good to me. So I'm more of a gut. Like, I think that's more the old school in me. Like I'm more of a gut, you know, like hunting, you know, you're, you walk through this woods. I was helping my son set up a bear bait yesterday. And, you know, I'm just like, well, yeah, that tree looks good. They're going to come right from here. And, you know, kind of the same thing when you're fishing, like you get that little intuition and 99% of the time it's right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I've always approached a lot of my hunts. It's like, I know where I'd like, I know what areas look good, but some people really go into like when I'm talking out West, like I'm going to park the truck here. I'm going to walk this Ridge. I'm going to walk that Ridge. I'm gonna make this loop. I'm like, ah, you know what? Over there looks kind of good. I'm going to go check that out. And, um, that's kind of the correlation I'd make to the Bassmaster or or being a professional fisherman. Um, one thing I've always been curious about, and and I and I'm coming, I I'm I'm going to open myself up for criticism here by you, Brad. 
Oh, good. But out of like the five or six trophy or game fish here in Minnesota, I would probably put bass five or six on my list. Yeah. Of like uh, things. I, mean, I, I understand that. I used to, I used to fish walleyes a lot when I was younger because mm-hmm. uh, my family, we didn't fish unless you ate it, right? Like it, we went fishing for food, just like we went deer hunting for food. We went duck hunting for food. And that's how I grew up. Yeah. But I got into bass because I could catch them during the daylight. You know, I, I'm like, I hate <laughs> okay. getting up super early. I hate staying out after dark. I'm like, I just want to fish during the daylight. Well, that leads right into my question because, you know, I would say if, if the fish are biting, I'll pick walleyes first. Then I'd probably pick nice oh. crappies and sunnies. So that's one, two, and three. Um, or muskies, obviously. That's If muskies are biting, I'll pick them first. I would put bass yeah. ahead of Minnesota northerns because there really just isn't typically good quality northerns in a lot of our lakes um so then it's more of a headache but that was the question is why why is bass the biggest fishing outlet i mean i don't i don't want to sound ignorant but i'm pretty sure bass dominate the freshwater fishing industry um both in in number of fishermen and when what you see on tv at bass fishing right now is close to 70 percent of the freshwater market and i would say a healthy part of the other part is probably fly fishing yeah i mean you got fly fishing you have i mean down south bass yeah it's all bass they got it's all bass they don't have i mean there's some lakes with sauger there's some lake with walleye i mean everyone bass fishes minnesota you know it's probably I would say 80% of the people that go fishing go walleye fishing. Like, I, I think that's the big majority. But you also, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin's kind of a culture, just like opening a deer hunting, opening a walleye fishing. Yeah. Probably 80% of the people that go out opening a walleye fishing probably never fish the rest of the year again. They just go up there to hang out and, you know, it's a good time. Same thing with deer hunting, you know, opening day of deer hunting in Minnesota, Wisconsin, there's hundreds of thousands of people doing it. And most of them could care less if they shot a deer or, you know, it's all about the camaraderie with their buddies and having a few cocktails. And, you know, I, I miss that. Like, that's why me and my buddies are so big into duck hunting. We, we love hanging out and, you know, shooting the crap after you have a good hunt or whatever it may be but we don't when we're traveling fishing we don't we don't do anything fun (laughs) and it's it's basically work work from sun up to sundown and you know you get back you usually rent a brbo with your buddies and you get back and you have a little bit to eat you're you're exhausted you've been on the water for 14 hours not to mention i drove 18 hours to get there the day before so you're pretty exhausted. You don't really have time to just hang out. And that, you know, hunting for us is that release that we don't, you know, obviously we're all driven. So we want to be on the X in a field and we, we spend countless hours scouting. And, and I mean, we don't like losing. I mean, we don't, we want to go make our time worthwhile, but you know, we, we do have more fun at that. Yeah. That's interesting. And so, yeah, it must be – maybe that's what it is, what you mentioned earlier, is because bass bite during the daylight. So it's something that the industry can 
do easier. Like filming a walleye tournament must be horrendously difficult if it's always if like if so much of it's after shooting light, and so then the maybe yeah. maybe long ago, decades ago, the industry's like we need to pump product. It's easier to pump product in the daylight, so we're gonna start all these bass fishing tournaments instead of walleye fishing tournaments. There are a lot of there like like there's the like of the uh, what is it. Um, like the, there's all kinds of uh, the Great Lake walleye there, chain and tournament. There's wa- tons of walleye no. tournaments. Don't get me wrong; they are out there, but it's there's more bass tournaments. There, there is, there, there is a lot of uh, walleye tournaments up in this neck of the woods and you know Canada and stuff. But another thing I think what makes bass fishing popular. So walleye tournaments kind of get a bad name because all these. A lot of fun fishermen love to catch and eat walleyes, and they yeah. think, "Well, these walleye guys are out there ruining our fishery." Oh. So it, I mean, the walleye. There's definitely a niche for the walleye turn. I mean, I know a couple of professional walleye anglers, and they do very well, but it's a very, very small majority of them. Yeah. I mean, you're talking, you're talking maybe, maybe. 30 big walleye fishermen in the whole country where you're talking you know three four hundred bass anglers that are making a living fishing you know or more than that so that's a really good point the whole game fish um versus dinner fish you know walleye is a dinner fish and bass is a game fish i mean they're both technically called game fish but you know, no, I, I mean, I've eaten bass in Canada when we were looking for shore lunch and we're getting a little short and a little hungry and a nice small, yeah. smally tastes a lot like a crappie, ironically. But other than that, you oh, know, yeah. we don't ever keep them and eat them. And so, yeah, I bet those are two big points. It's a daylight thing. It can be action all day long. And then it's not a fish that the locals are going to be too upset about because most people aren't eating them. They're pretty aggressive fish generally so that they'll probably bounce back from like a tournament yeah. in a couple of weeks and be active again. And so absolutely that's, but why, how about instead of just why the industry went to bass, where was the moment where you were like, I can be a competitive bass fisherman and picked bass over any other species. Well, when I was growing up, I honestly, so my, I mean, a little backstory on me, my family owned a water well drilling business in Victoria, Minnesota. Mm, My great grandpa started back in the twenties. And apparently I never knew my great grandpa, but he was a bass fisherman way back then. He'd go out on Laconia with frogs and a cane pole. So I don't know if I got a little bit from him or what happened, but we, we typically never fished in the summer. Like I didn't, I'd maybe fish one time a summer until I was, I mean, a summer was a time to make money and work. And, you know, we did a lot of ice fishing, a lot of ice fishing is our slow time, you know, to go and go catch fish. So I didn't until I think I was in eighth grade, I had an accident at school and messed up my jaw as a big baseball player. And I had to kind of quit that. And I got, a guy from town took me out and his name was Brian Krause. He took me out in this first bass tournament, a little Wednesday nighter, which still goes on to this day on Minnetonka. He took me out there and it was like a, a deal that was like crack. You know, I, I couldn't get away from it. I mean, I just, I, I couldn't believe how awesome it was. And back then, you know, I was walleye fishing a little bit and bass fishing and, that kind of put me over the edge. And there was, you know, back in the day, there was a bass tournament 
every, you know, every Saturday, every Sunday on Lake Minnetonka. So it was, you know, right next to home and it was pretty simple to do. So just went that way. And then as, as my career went along, like Seth Fighter, Austin Felix, Josh Douglas, who they're fishing at the highest level right now. I, I grew up fishing with all of them and we kind of all pushed ourselves to be better and you know these guys went on to great things and i stayed working i had kids and now my kids are old enough so now it's my turn to go chase the dream i'm just a little worn out but i'm all right okay so it all started with it sounds like when when ryan invited you is that like a like a tournament that it's a two-person team and he was a person short yeah yeah, it was a, it's like a Wednesday night or so. They still have them. It's like four hours. They have them all across the country. Most big reservoirs down south will have one every night of the week. But in Minnesota, we don't have the, the fishermen like they do down there. So it was every Wednesday night. It was $25, and there was about 50 boats in it. You fished for four hours and brought back your four biggest bass. Okay. And. Uh, and back then, Teddy Capra, who pretty much invented bass fishing in the state of Minnesota, he he won them all, and it just drove me nuts, like <laughs> little fire under me. Is that where Capra's sporting goods started from? Yep, that was Teddy's. And then uh, Dean, a buddy of mine, I actually got to fish with Teddy probably for about five or six years before he passed. And I'm good friends with his son, Dean and Tony. I still talk to them pretty much every day. But, yeah, that that's where Capra Sporting Goods came from. Teddy was also, like, the inventor of Aquaview, Shore Lunch. I mean, he was a big, big deal in our industry. And, and then Dino took over the store, which he just sold that here a little, I don't know, even know if it's been a year ago, and retired. And, yeah, they're big-time hunters, too. I mean, big deer hunters wow that's incredible so it all started with an invite and that's what got you hooked absolutely it's crazy these little things in life i mean my parents wish it would have never happened because i'd probably be a multi-millionaire right now and living on easy street but i don't i don't like anything easy so <laughs> yeah and so what's the next step for someone that says, you know, it sounds like you can pretty much go fish any of these local Wednesday night or tournaments or weekend tournaments yeah. around you and, and see what happens. If you do good, you do good. But what if someone's at that level and they're like, hey, I win every now and then and I have time. Maybe I don't have kids yet or maybe my kids are older and I don't know. I feel like I want to make a run. Like how does someone go from your local fishing league or your local tournament to starting to climb the ranks and I'm not, I, I should probably know by now since I have this podcast, but what are the link, the different ranks and levels of Bassmaster? Well, so the highest level of Bassmaster is elites where there's only, there's 102 of them this year. And what I'm fishing is called the EQs. It's the Bassmaster open EQs. So you have to do all nine of them. You have to, we have 225 guys in each event and you have to be in the top nine overall after nine tournaments. So it's like basically winning the lottery to make it in there. The leads are, are the hardest thing to get to. 
but it's the biggest carrot out there. What I, I mean, going back to your question, how I would, you know, there's different levels even in the state of Minnesota. So, you, you know, a lot of guys start out fishing club level, and, you know, club level is the, your weekend guy that fishes maybe once or twice a month. He just likes to get out of the house. And the club level is kind of neat because you can make it all the way to the Bassmaster Classic, which is the biggest tournament in the world. But you have to fish through like 20,000 club members. So it's a very, very, you know, small chance. But you can fish these clubs you do good on those, you go to state, then you go to nationals, and then you make it, you know, to where you want to be, which they only take one person a year out of 20 or 30,000. That's how Brandon Polnick made it. And there's uh, Maddie Wong made it that way more recently. I mean, they're, every year they take one guy into the elites out of the club stuff, but and then there's also, you know, bigger money tournaments. So there's a Denny's circuit on Minnetonka, which goes on, you know, five five tournaments throughout the summer. It's like a $400 entry fee. If you win, you get $5,000 to split as your team, which Denny's is a very competitive. That's for me and Seth and Austin all fought it out for a lot of years for bragging rights and you know, and then there's also Classic Bass in Minnesota, which is a little step up from that. They pay $12,000, I believe, for first now, but it's a $1,000 entry fee. And I fished those for a couple of years, won a few of those. I'm the only one to win back-to-back -back ones. And, you know, so there's ways of moving up in your state. I would not recommend leaving your state, though, until you're, you know, Back when I fished Minnesota, I'd cash a check in 80 to 90% of the tournaments I was fishing in. And when I travel down south, I'm super happy to get to 50%. So it, it's it's crazy how good they are down there. So you better be an absolute hammer where you're from if you want to go travel down south and move up in the ranks. And it costs you. I mean, it'll cost me close to $50,000 this year just travel and fishing so that's not including a boat truck anything that's just fishing travel expenses gas gas food lodging and yeah gas food lodging tackle. entry fees yeah not even tackle. i'm not even counting tackle <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so so you start small you start working your way up through your local tournaments all of a sudden you see an opportunity to to maybe expand and start start your journey, I guess, towards the Bassmaster Elite, right? Who knows where you end yep. up. But when yep. you make each level up, so like right now, let's talk about the Bassmaster EQs. So yep. when you make it to EQs, is there like a, a threshold where you have to make it to and then they allow you to join the Bassmaster EQs? But And as long as you perform, you can start – the next season at the EQs because I assume you're not starting from the b bottom all the every single year. No, so basically the EQs it's something new this year. It's the first year they've done it. It's the first year they've made us do all nine. They used oh. to have three different divisions where you could qualify. They take three guys out of each division, right? Or you did them all, and they took the three guys that did the best out of all of them. So this year they they doubled down. They're like 
The problem is with doing the divisions, you may like, you know, the first year I did the divisions two years ago, I missed it by one fish. I missed being in the leads by one fish. I just did the Northern division, which was three lakes. They called it a Northern division, but the closest drive for me was 20 hours. So one was in Richmond, Virginia on the James River. Another one was on Lake Oneida in New York. And the last one was on Thousand Islands in New York. But that being said, you could live, say you live in Jersey or out east somewhere, all those bodies of water are within four or five hours of your home. Yeah. So it'd be no no different that if they had a if they had a circuit in the Midwest, like I'd be really mad if I didn't make it. You know, like it, it would be a lot easier than what I'm trying to do now. So what Bassmaster kind of found out is that some of these guys qualifying through these divisions made it there. And once you make it to the leads, it's 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 probably close to $100,000 a year to fish them. So you got to have the sponsors lined up. You have to have, you know, your family in order. You know, it's not it's not for everyone. It's not easy. I mean, it's not easy in a family. It's not easy to afford them. I mean, yeah. so a lot of these guys were getting there and they couldn't stay there or they'd have to quit. And Bassmaster's like, no, we want guys that are serious that are going to stay and they have everything lined up. So making us do all nine, I mean, you better have some pretty good sponsors or some huge family money, you know, otherwise you're not going to make it. So does EQ stand for elite qualifiers? Yeah. Okay. So that's, I guess, the point that I was trying to get to is like you're at you're fishing the EQs now. So let's just assume that's not brand new and things will change. But assuming you don't make it to the elites, right? Because you said they pull one person out of the EQs to make it up to the nine. They make they pull nine out of one hundred and eighty nine of us that started. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you're talking like five percent. Um. And so, okay, so they're going to pull 5% of you. So say you're number 10, right? Like you're right there, but you didn't make it. Do you automatically start next year back at the EQs, or do you have to go all the way down to the club and work your way up? No, no, You can get into all the EQs with just money. I mean, the the more people that put into it, they're going to go into, like, we have, we get the first chance to put in for it. If we fish the, yes, but they will... Yeah, you don't have to go all the way back down. But if you make it to the elites, they give you two years. If you are not in the top 70 in points after two years, you have to start over your qualification to make it there. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. So, no. you know, you so it sounds like 189. So nine of them are going to go to elites. Let's just assume no. they all make it and they all can afford it no. and they all go. So now there's 180 no. of you, I'd say – a good percentage are like, yep, I'm going to do it again next year. So you kind of got your spot. And then the yep. people, is it kind of one of those things where like the, it kind of takes care of itself, like the bottom of the bucket, they just kind of don't sign up. Next yeah. Year. I would say, I would say this year it was a new, a new format. There was a lot of excitement with it. And like say last year, only 68 guys did all nine of them. This year we had 189 guys do all of them. I would, from what I'm hearing and seeing with them making us travel across the country and, you know, and I would say 
I think next year, like a hundred guys tops will be doing it. Like, I think a lot of guys have, you know, they maybe not set up financially. They maybe not set up, you know, sponsor wise and the EQs. It's not easy to get sponsor. I mean, it's easy to get product deals. It's not easy to get hard dollars, you know? So there's a lot of guys out there not getting any kind of sponsorship dollars. I mean, you just can't, how many years are you going to throw away $50,000? I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard deal. Yeah. And are the EQs um, professionally filmed or is that they film the award yeah. ceremony? No. So the EQs like uh, they do a good job getting us on their website prior to the tournament during the tournament they have six photographers there okay and then the last the last three so the last three we're going to so the last one in each division is actually will be on fx1 the last day the top 10 anglers will get camera guy just like the elites yeah and that's kind of two years ago i made it to the last day up on thousand islands and just just being there that one day, like after, you know, it, it, it moved my career along more in one day than 20 years of winning every local tournament out there. You know, I've won everything in the Midwest and I never got the publicity. I got that one day. So that's, so I assume then, but there's probably media rules where you can't bring your own cameraman or get your boat set up with yeah. like 12 wired gopros and be doing your no, own youtube no, series no bass bass loves all that oh they do like we have a guy yeah they encourage it actually they more the merrier for them so you know it's less they have to do so so could they that be a it. viable we, strategy i mean i suppose on top of everything you're doing you don't have time to edit videos so you'd have to think through that but are there people doing like full Absolutely. YouTube episodes and, yep. and like that's how they yep. fund their that's how they fund their ticket basically to, to fish the series is YouTube they're making enough on YouTube to No, kind of... I mean there there's one guy, Brandon or Ben Milliken. So he's from Texas. He has five hundred thousand YouTube followers. He he's funding it through YouTube, but he built his YouTube before he he just started doing them this year. Mm. But the problem is in YouTube, it's kind of a, I don't do it because it's so saturated on the fishing side nowadays that it's just, it takes so long to build, to get paid from it, that yeah. it's, you know, you're better off, you know, that's why I do the podcast stuff. I like talking to people. I like doing that. I'm not really a YouTuber. I would, if I ever do a YouTube, I would do it hunting in the yeah. hunting side of the world. No. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I just kind of getting like figuring out how someone like climbs the rank. So what's the, is from what you're seeing next year, can anyone that's got the money sign up for EQs and pretty much make it in? Or is there a vetting process? Um, no, they can, if they have the money, they can make it in. It's so it's, it's nine tournaments. It's 18. Well, as of now, it's $1,800 a tournament. So you're looking at, I don't know what that comes out to, $20,000 roughly just in entry fees. And then, you know, 
another thirty thousand dollars in lodging and gas yeah you're in okay so there's so if you're fishing at that local level and you're just a rock star like you're winning and you're like i want to what do i do to try to make it is it probably best like figure out your finances and sign up for the eqs and see if you can compete there there's two different ways of doing it so we got the there's Bassmaster and there's MLF. So MLF is, you know, the competitor of Bassmaster, which they have the Toyota series, which is kind of comparable to the EQs. And it's kind of the same deal. But on the MLF side, they have a Toyota and then they have a pro circuit and then they have their big circuit. So there's three different long, well, they actually have BFL. So there's like four ways of getting up there. The big carrot for Bassmaster, though, so if you win one of these EQ tournaments, you get fish the Bassmaster Classic, which just showing up for the Bassmaster Classic, you get $10,000, and it's the most, it's the hugest tournament in the world. I mean, you win a Bassmaster Classic, your name goes down in the storybooks, you know, so it's a big draw that way you know bat and bassmaster in general it does a lot better job promoting their anglers than mlf does like mlf it's more about promoting their brand where bassmaster is more about promoting anglers so the sponsorship dollars are usually better in bassmaster okay and so so you're saying nine people make it out of the EQs to fish the classic because they're no, pulling. they fish. No, they fish the. Oh yes, there is nine, nine total. If if they're doing all the EQs, but we we we've had a few uh, a good share of people jump in them in the last minute and they're not doing the whole season, so they don't make the classic. So there there could be a possible if. Nine EQ anglers won the nine events, then there could be nine of us going to the classic. And then there's nine of us going to the elites. So So the classic is a one tournament, like it's a one three day it, thing. It's like the it's like the Super Bowl. It's a three day thing. My buddy Gussie won it this year down in Knoxville. And it that you weigh in in a stadium, like a football stadium, there's 20 to 80,000 people there. I mean, it, oh it's gosh. a crazy, crazy event. So if this you... This year it's... Oh, go ahead. This year it's down in Oklahoma. It'll be a it'll be a big deal. It's in Tulsa. So it'll be pretty okay. awesome. So your best chance... So it's like you could either place top nine fishing all nine tournaments or just oh. really focus on one and try to win one tournament and just show up to the other eight and punch your ticket to the classic and then you get to the classic and you better have your own lure your own rod your own everything to to say hey this i'm I'm cranking them with my own my brad lightner special here and you can get it on my website (laughs) yeah i mean it it's not real i mean you could do that but we're also driven once you get to this level you're you don't want to lay up. You don't want to. I mean, it's. it's well, I'm not uh, saying lay up. Just like you better make the most of it because it's not easy getting to the yeah. classic. No, the classic is the is the gem of our sport. Like it is, it's like shooting a 200 incher. You know, it, it, it's it's a big deal. So, so most people will never come close in their life, and a handful of people will do it every year. Correct. Correct. <laughs> they're they're. 
It's uh they only take 40, 48 people to the classic each year. So it, it's a very select few. And they're, you know, and all that select few, only a very select few ever win it. You know, it's not like my buddy Seth has been there eight times and he's never won it. And but he's fished it the last eight years in a row. So the the easiest way to get in the classic is to get in the elites and then you're in the top 35 and points in the elites and you're automatically into the classic so that is the by far the easiest way to make it to the classic and so i assume if you can make it to the classic and you're making it to the elites that makes every con does that make every conversation easier when it comes to being a professional fisherman when you call up rapala or you call up this boat company not saying it's a guaranteed deal, but does it just make it easier? Like, yeah, I've been in the elites for 10 years. It, it really depends on personality at this point. Okay. I mean, it, it, there's some people in the elites that are making huge dollars, and there's some people making no dollars. So it boils down to how you can promote yourself. You know, if, if you work hard, you know, that's what I'm telling you earlier. If you work just hard at fishing and you're the best angler on the planet and you're not good at promoting, you're not a friendly person, you probably aren't going to make it very far. You might, you might, you might eke by a living with entry fees and winning enough money, but the way to, to secure your future is, you know, you got to have that personality. You got to have you got to be willing to work for sponsors and it starts at a young, you know, when you make it to the elite stage, you better have all that in place because when, when you make it to the elites, you don't have to work as hard as, you know, as you're coming up through the ranks. I mean, I've been working sports shows for 22 years. I've been, you know, mm -hmm. I've been doing all this stuff for a long time. So everyone knows me and they know, what I do in the industry and how I can sell price at the end of the day, it's how much product can you sell for that company? Mm. So if you're a very fun person, very recognizable person, you know, yeah, these companies are jumping at the bit to get to you. If you're someone that doesn't talk much to not approachable, you don't get any sponsors. So it, it, it's, that's where it's hard. You have to be, you know, you have to be at all nowadays. Back in the day, you could be just the best angler and get paid well and get sponsors nowadays. And it's a lot of our budgeting from our companies are going to YouTubers too nowadays. So a lot of, we're kind of getting lumped in the same thing. And, you know, there's a, there's some big YouTubers out there that make a ton of money in our sport. And you know they're good at selling product because they're pushing this product in front of everyone all day long we don't you know when we're filming you know when there's a camera guy on us in a eight hour tournament we're not really pushing product at that point we're trying to catch the five biggest bass we can catch yeah where it's almost like you'd have to have two brains going you'd have to have one brain focused on how can i catch this fish but you'd have to have your other brain focused on the camera and being on camera yeah. and talking and being a personality with not forgetting that we're here to catch fish. And I feel like with the pressure and the emotion and the, and then you put a clock on it and you put all this, you know, all this passion behind it. It's just like, you can't, very few people can probably successfully do both of those at the same time. Yeah. There's not, there's not much of that going on. Like I you're mean, not stopping to take Instagram pictures. 
No, no. I mean, not if, I mean, some people do, but they're not in the elites. They're more of a, you know, or unless you had some a people phenomenal do. day and you got six, six pounders right off the bat. Now you got a pretty good base to work off of. Maybe you can start yeah. to do some other stuff, but you only two fish in and the bells ring and you're not wasting time with the camera. No, you're, you don't even tell the guy to sit down. You're taking off to the next spot. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's a double-edged sword in our sport, so it's it's interesting. I might get into the hunting side. That's where all the money's at. I heard. I don't know. I've heard, I've talked to a lot of people. I think both parties point to the other side of the fence. I think <laughs> when you're on the fence, like when you're the company, that's where the money's at. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity when you start doing what. You, what I would say what you're doing is really diversification. I'm doing content. I'm doing podcasting. I'm doing social media. I'm working on different product deals. And I got all this, you know, now I'm starting to build a complete portfolio of irons in the fire versus a brand. Yeah. Yeah. You're building a brand. Yeah. Yeah. How much of being a competitive pro fisherman is how good you are on your own at fishing and how much of it comes from being in a strong network of guys that you're all communicating what's working, what's not working. I mean, is there clicks in like the EQs or the elites where like these five guys work together, they share everything. They're not toxic. They're not cutthroat against each other. Maybe the new people that everyone else, they don't know they're not going to share anything, but how much of it is to, does that what it takes to be successful today? I would say, I mean, so basically the rules, you know, we're very frowned upon getting any information, any kind of guide information. We can look at public stuff. When our when our bodies are water or off limits, we can't get any information. I mean, and during the tournament, if a guy's standing on his dock and yelling, there's a five pounder under my dock, I, I'm supposed to drive the other way because that's getting information. So, but to your point with working together, there is people that work together. There's people that I would say in the bass fishing, it's more or less like four or five buddies stay at the same place and they may be like, Hey, you should check out this worm or, you know, I'm catching them in 22 feet of water and brush piles type thing. Not, not per se, like blue, they're not handing you blue dots. They're not. You know, if you're struggling and you call a buddy, usually they'll help you out. But in the walleye side of the world, they all work in teams. Like they're all, they split all their money. They split everything where the bass side doesn't do that. Like we don't, we're, I don't know if we have bigger egos or what our deal is, but we don't, we don't really do that at all. Well, it's interesting you painted that picture because that's exactly where my question came from. So my brother used to work at Thorn Brothers in college and he got in, he got, he wasn't ever competitive fishing. I think he might've just like filled a spot on a team every now and then. Um, but he had some friends yeah. and one of them made it to some significant level in the walleye fishing circuit. And he said, yeah. one-on-one, I can beat any of these guys, but the problem is they all have friends and I don't have any friends. And so they're sharing stuff yeah. and it's like five of them working together and I can't keep up on my own. And I, I don't, He's like, I had to dip out because I couldn't do that. And that's exactly what I thought of. I didn't know it was just a species thing. I was just curious if that was what it's like on the bass. I mean, there, there's a little bit of that going on. By, I mean, there's there's shady stuff happening on the bass side right now. But uh, for the most part, it's one-on-one. And the thing is, with bass fishing, it's 
you know, you, you it's kind of a person, you know, it's your, your sport. So you want to win for you and yeah. you want to, and the more, the more you can do it without getting help, the better off you're going to be down the road where these walleye guys, yeah, they all work on a team. And once that team leaves, they don't know what they're doing anymore. So it's, uh, it's just a different deal, I guess. I, I don't know. Walleye fishing is different. But you're going to see changes in walleye fishing right now. The the trolling and the live bait is kind of going away. And it's all going to what we've been doing the last four or five years, live scoping individual fish. And, and that's what some of the top walleye anglers are doing right now. And they're uh, it's kind of changing their game, too. So you're going to see some change in that, too. How, uh, how big of a, that brings up a good question. How big of a deal is tech? Like, could someone be competitive in today's day and age without live scoping or any of the forms of live scoping? Uh, no, (laughs) no. I mean, it, it live scoping to me has made a lot of, a lot of subpar fishermen really good at fishing. Honestly, It, it is, uh. I mean, don't get you wrong. One of my best friends is one of the best live scopers I know, and he is an absolute hammer, and he is super good at it. But that, you know, it kind of takes out, I I wouldn't say, like, I'm not against live scoping in any shape or form. I'm just just mad I'm not better at it, so the has got truth. That it, it, it is, I mean, I spent, I have two live scopes on the front of my boat, and to me, I don't like staring at the screen for 12 hours a day. I like I like casting at what makes my belly feel good or, you know, that intuition. But it, it doesn't work anymore. I have to go, you know, I have to live scope. I mean, that's just how it is. So is the, is the difference that before live scope, you had to fish enough to know where quality fish should be and how they should be reacting based on weather and patterns and every variable there is to be competitive and now you can just find that fish and now you can see how he's reacting and then you can try something else and you can try again but you know that fish is there so you you, is that kind of the difference i i think it's a little bit both i think the biggest thing live scope has taught us is there's a lot of fish in no man's land like they're catching a lot of these fish on live scope where no one would fish before because there's nothing there. Oh, you know, like a suspended fish there, out in the middle of the lake or something. It doesn't necessarily even have to be suspended. It could be just sitting on like a 10 foot flat with no contours, just sitting there, you know, mm. swimming through there and you see it on your live scope and catch it where back in the day, every spot you fished, it had a purpose to it. Right. It had, mm a hard spot and it's so different like my struggles with down south is they don't have there's no weeds down there and it's all flat you know it's very you know in minnesota like you're looking for these weed edges these hard spots on these weed edges where down south you're looking for a little hard spot where the current hits it different you know or so it's it's night and day difference from here to down there but it's also a, a bass is a bass you know everywhere you go so interesting it uh it's it's definitely changed the game and you will not compete without it like there's no way 
Yeah, that's what I've always thought about when we have fish bets in our local group because we spend a week in Canada every year, and it's like, man, if one boat gets a live scope, I, I would feel a little salty about doing this whole, you know, bragging rights <laughs> $1 fish bet. Like, not that the dollar matters, but it's like, no. well, what's the point? Like, you have a live scope. No one mm-hmm. else does. You're going to win every single day. And I, I, I wouldn't say it that way, though. Like, I mean, live scope, you can see fish all day long and they might not bite, you know. So I think what makes a really good live scope angler is how good they are at casting. Like, it's not you see a fish out there 75, 100 feet. And you can't just wing it 50 feet by it and drag it to that fish because the line seems to spook it. So you have to make that 105-foot cast in a 5-foot circle and drop it down so that fish sees it coming down. So I think live scope has made us all a lot better casters and a lot more mm. like just noticing little things, you know? Yeah, I don't know how I'd, I would love to have one. I would love to have one more so for uh, ice fishing. And I would love to do that style of YouTube where it's like, I don't, you know, I'm kind of like growing with you. Like, I'm not the expert here. I just, I'm going to go out, drill a bunch of holes, see if we can find some fish, no. see if we can catch them, see what they are, see if we can find bigger ones then, you know, kind of progress through. Cause I, I have uh, zero online presence when it comes to ice fishing. I've, I've never put a thing out there. I don't do a ton of it. Like, it would be a complete new adventure to me, but it would just be interesting to start that new adventure with the best technology fishing has ever seen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Sounds like a business plan. You better get on it. Well, I got to get a live scope first. It'd be great if I could find a product deal for a live scope, to be honest. But <laughs> the the other podcast is the one that pays the pays the bills and that one's completely only western hunting and so i don't think many i don't think garmin's gonna be licking their lips looking at that opportunity <laughs> wow garmin makes a lot of outdoor stuff they make gps's sure and watches and i yeah i suppose i could yeah. sponsor the i could get a garmin as a sponsor for their in reaches which is huge in western hunting i would just take payment in a live scope because i already have an in reach yeah yeah there you go (laughs) there we go we got a plan see i just needed to talk to someone that knows more about the whole fishing industry than me yeah so awesome well i want to before we leave it's been great having you here but i wanted to give you an opportunity brad to share with all of the listeners where they can go to find more of you where they can go to watch your content uh the podcast especially obviously they listen to this podcast so they're already into the podcast game maybe looking for another one and and just give people all of the give them the whole gamut run them run them down the list of where where they can connect more with you okay so social media instagram it's brad lightner fishing uh, I'm on there every day, usually, if you ever, I mean, I have a lot of people send me messages asking about fishing. I get back to everyone on that stuff, trying to build that up a little more. And then I'm on Facebook also with Brad Lightner Fishing. And then our a podcast, so the podcast is called Into the Great Wide Opens. It's on Straycast. So Pat Renwick does Straycast, and then I do an offshoot of it, Into the Great Wide Opens but you can listen to it on Spotify or it goes live. We always do a live show every, you know, the nights we do it on Facebook. So mm. you can watch it that way too. But yeah, it's, or just go to, you know, Spotify or however you get a podcast. 
Awesome. Well, we will put links to and go and buy places. lots of. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I was gonna say, don't forget to go check out the chicken jig from Outcast. Oh, we'll, we'll put That's a my little baby. We'll put a link to the chicken jig. Is that the Omnia direct link in your Instagram? Yep. Yeah. I'll, yep. I will grab that link and put it in the show notes so everyone can check out the the jig that's been crushing it in the Midwest and does sounds like it does pretty well down south too. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having me on, buddy. Thank you. Well, thanks for making time to be in here, Brad, and thank you for listening, folks.